afternoon. I want to talk about love. How great is the Father's love? It's a big subject. And as we come into Christmas, we can reflect on the Lord's love. And as we read the Bible, we understand that God loves us, but how much does he love us? How deep is that love? And that's one of the things that I've been challenged with. How deep is his love? Just trying to understand that depth. So today, I want to share one of the ways that the Lord's shown me and how he's highlighted his love to me. So I've got two pictures that I want to show you about our Lord. One with the other, one without the other, can't reveal God's love. The Apostle John starts his gospel with this statement. In the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made. In him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Some statement, isn't it? What an impact Jesus had had on his life. So this leads me to the first picture It's today I want to reveal it in a video because it can do a lot better job of saying what I want to say than what I can say because it's got a bit of visual in it. But you'll get the picture. Has anybody heard of Louis Giglio? A few people? It's a few years ago now that I came across him. So I think maybe more than 15 years ago this video was put together and it's part of a presentation that he did on how great is our God. So we'll show this video, it goes for about 18 minutes, the part that I want to show and then we'll, I'll come back. Would you guys welcome my friend Louis Giglio. You guys can have a seat. Thank you so much. Man, what a great confession. Uh, we're calling this, I think you knew this already, the How Great Is Our God Tour. Um, not just because God has given Chris this phenomenal song that circled the globe, but we're calling it the How Great Is Our God Tour because we are here tonight 
worshiping a God that is far beyond anything we could ever dream of or imagine. We are here tonight to worship a huge, massive God of grace and glory. If there's anything that could happen tonight, our heart is that we will leave tonight with at least a couple of things having happened to us. One being that our view of God will be completely blown up all over again and that the view that we have of God will be expanded in this place tonight. And that we will leave here with the confidence that he is able to hold on to us and hold us together no matter what circumstances come our way in this lifetime. And if you were with us on the Indescribable Tour, we sort of took a swing at that first part, looking at the bigness of God and the greatness of the universe. Anybody make it out to the Indescribable Tour, by the way? A few of you guys were there. The story of it in a nutshell was that the heavens are telling the glory of God. Their expanse declares the work of his hands. In other words, all you have to do is look up and you see the size of the God that we're worshiping tonight. We ended that, just a little review, with this galaxy right here, the Whirlpool Galaxy. You're like, man, alive, we're talking about astronomy at a Christian worship service. Why not? The God that we're worshiping tonight is the one who created that right there. It's called the darling of astronomy. The reason why is it's sitting completely perpendicular to us on earth. And when we look up at it, we get this beautiful view. But check this out. The Whirlpool Galaxy is 31 million light years away from where you're sitting right now. Okay, they got nothing in here tonight. 31 million light years away. That's just the first little thing we got to catch up with tonight. By the way, the story opens like this. In case you forgot, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he said, let there be light. And there was light. And that was a phenomenal moment when that happened. Because light came out of the mouth of God traveling 186,000 miles a second. That's how fast light is traveling through the universe. And so a light year, therefore, is how far light travels in one year, and I'll do the math for you, it's 5.88 trillion miles is a light year. So as we talked about before, when you start to get around in the neighborhood of God, the mile is not going to help you. The yardstick, the ruler, the tape measure, these things are of no value in the universe that God has made. We're using a ruler called a light year that's 5.88 trillion miles long. And if you'd like to go to the Whirlpool Galaxy, be my guest, all you have to do is multiply 31 million, that's how many light years it is away, by 5.88 trillion miles, and that's the distance that you've got to cover. A anybody with me so far? I'm, I'm wondering, are there any science lovers here tonight? Because we're going to have a little scientific content tonight, and I need to know if anybody's going to be with me so far. So you do the math, or you could look at it a different way. You just have to travel 186,000 miles a second for 31 million years, and voila, you will arrive at the Whirlpool Galaxy. Second thing that's pretty stunning, given that our God made that, is it contains 300 billion stars in that one galaxy, 300 billion stars. And it is one of hundreds of billions of other galaxies in the known universe that God has made. And it just reminds us all over again tonight, man, this God that we're singing to tonight, he's enormous. He's bigger than anything we've ever dreamed of. He's bigger than our wildest imagination of him. 
But we ended by looking inside that thing, and this is pretty stunning. Those of you who've seen it remember, but the Hubble Space Telescope is circling the Earth at 360 miles above the Earth, and it takes amazing images of these galaxies and other phenomenon of, of the cosmos, and it looked into that white core of the Whirlpool Galaxy, and lo and behold, there is a black hole in there. And we'd never seen it before until Hubble could take an image of it. And I found this on NASA's site, hubblesite.org. This is what Hubble sent back to us from 31 million light years away from the black hole core of the Whirlpool Galaxy. They send us back this image right here. And it's just crazy. It's crazy. It's the glory of God, the grandeur of God. It's the grace of God and the mercy of God everywhere we look. It's the imprint of God in all of creation, everywhere we turn. And tonight we just want to begin with the bigness of God, the, the grandeur of God all over again. We're going to do it by looking at four stars. Can, can you handle four stars tonight? The first one's easy because there's just one star in our solar system and that star is called the... Sun, thank you very much. Yes, it's our own star. It's, uh, there's an image of it for you, by the way. It's a little more fierce than we often think. It's 10,000 degrees Fahrenheit on the surface, but what I want you to see about it is how big it is. It's 93 million miles away, so when you're looking up in, in the sky, it's pretty good pace out there. By the way, light traveling 186,000 miles a second, it's only taken eight minutes to cover that 93 million mile journey to touch your skin here in Atlanta, Georgia. But what I want you to see is the size of it. It's like a million times the size of the earth, and that matters to us tonight when you hear what the psalmist said. Listen to his words. By the word of the Lord, this is Psalm 33, the heavens were made. In other words, God didn't lift a finger when he made the universe. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. But he goes on to say, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. So we're looking at something so intense that we don't want to get any closer than 93 million miles away, which is what we are right now. And then we read that God just breathes out stars. It's crazy to think about it. A million times the size of the earth. So here's a little perspective that sort of changed my life. If the earth were the size of a golf ball, okay, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. Okay, that didn't seem to move anybody either, so let me try it a different way. Let me just try it just a different way. I thought I might need this, so I brought a golf ball, okay? So all through the evening, this is going to represent earth, all right? So this is where we are. I need everybody in the building to look as closely as you can and find yourself, okay? And when you've found yourself, I want you to nod your head so that I know you've located you on the earth, okay? You're nodding your head? Okay, you found yourself. If the earth were a golf ball, the sun would be 15 feet in diameter. That's not 15 feet in diameter. Can we blow that up just a hair and maybe give them 15 feet in diameter? So here's a little perspective for you, okay? Is this working for anybody? Here we are on the earth, and that's the sun. It's so big. It's so big, you could put... 960,000 Earths inside the sun. So if the Earth were a golf ball and the, and the sun were 15 feet in diameter, you could put 960,000 golf balls inside that 15-foot diameter sun. That's enough golf balls, by the way, because I know that seems like a big number, to fill a school bus with golf balls could fit inside the 15-foot diameter sun. It's a massive star, and it's one of hundreds of billions of stars in the Milky Way galaxy, our cul-de-sac in the neighborhood called the cosmos that God has made. It's huge, and we're worshiping a star-breathing God tonight. But I want to tell you about the second star, okay? 
Because the second star absolutely wrecked my life. I heard about it when I was a high school student here in Atlanta. One of our youth leaders did a talk and he mentioned this star. I didn't know how to talk to God for about two months after I heard about this star. It's called Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse. You can pick your pronunciation. I'm obviously going with Betelgeuse. And Betelgeuse is incredible. Here it is in the night sky. I know it doesn't look incredibly ferocious but it's 427 light years away. So that's 427 times 5.88 trillion miles away from us right now. Draw it in a little closer with the Hubble Space Telescope and you can start to get a little bit of the feeling of its intensity. But this is the crazy thing about Betelgeuse. Are you ready for this? Betelgeuse is twice the size. Are you ready? You think I'm going to say twice the size of the sun? Oh no, it's twice the size of the Earth's orbit around the sun, Betelgeuse is. It's crazy. If the earth were a golf ball, <laughs> Betelgeuse would be the height of six Empire State Buildings on top of each other. Now, come on, have you seen the Empire State Building? <laughs> I mean, maybe what you're going to need to do is gather the family, get a golf ball, get some plane tickets, and fly up to New York. And you're going to go into Midtown, you're going to take your golf ball and put it on the sidewalk outside the Empire State Building. Don't worry about people thinking you're crazy. They're not even going to notice you in New York. You're going to go across the street. You're going to look up at the Empire State Building and imagine five more Empire State Buildings on top of the Empire State Building. That's Betelgeuse and that's the earth and somewhere you're on it. You could fit 262 trillion earths inside Betelgeuse. So if the earth were a golf ball, that would be enough golf balls to fill up the Superdome with golf balls 3,000 times. <laughs> when I heard that as a teenager, that stumped me right there. Because most of my praying had been advising God, correcting God, <laughs> suggesting things to God, drawing diagrams for God reviewing things with God, counseling God. The third star, let's just, can you go a little bit bigger with me? The third star is called Musifi. Here it is in the night sky. It's that gold star to the top left. We, we have the big image of it. It's 3,000 light years away, but I just want you to see it in the, in the span of all these little glittering stars so that you know that at times when you look up at night, it is not just twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. I'm telling you what you are. What you are is intense and huge and massive and ferocious is what you are. And, and this one used to be called Herschel's Garnet Star. Check it out. If the earth were a golf ball, <laughs> Musifi would be the width of two Golden Gate bridges end to end. Apparently you're going to need to go from New York to the West Coast. Go to San Francisco with your family and your golf ball. Place your golf ball at the beginning of the Golden Gate Bridge. Go across the bay into Oakland to a high place where you can see the entire Golden Gate Bridge. Another second Golden, break, Golden Gate Bridge will be in your imagination. Span all the way back the two Golden Gate Bridges to the very beginning and find your golf ball over there. That's the earth and somewhere you're on it. One of the stars in the Milky Way galaxy. It's so big you could fit 2.7 quadrillion earths inside this one star. 
Thank you so much. Where have you been all night? Now, quadrillion we have not talked about, and I need to explain this just briefly because I don't know about you, but I do not understand the national debt or any numbers bigger than about $875.28. I get that number. Go bigger than that, I don't know. But you need to understand a quadrillion, okay, because this star is crazy big. A quadrillion, uh, let's do it this way. Everybody knows a million, right? How many of you know what a million is? You can kind of get your head around a million. Everybody? All right. You know that a billion is a thousand million and a trillion is a thousand billion and a quadrillion is a thousand trillion, right? Everybody knew that? Here's the perspective. This changed my life, right? A million seconds ago, 12 days ago. Isn't that cool? See, that saves you doing that on your little calculator at home, which I dare you to try to do when you get home tonight. But a billion seconds ago? You're thinking, oh my goodness, if it's 12 days ago, I'm going all the way back to like September with you, Louie. This must be crazy, right? How about May 1975 <laughs> is a billion seconds ago. You're like, whoa, that's a little bit bigger than a million. Oh yeah. A trillion seconds ago, you're like, uh-huh, I'm on the 1800s. <laughs> no. Christopher Columbus? No. 29,700 BC is a trillion seconds ago. A quadrillion seconds ago, 30,800,000 years ago is a quadrillion seconds ago. We're talking about a really large number, and Musifi is so big, you could put 2.7 quadrillion Earths inside this one star. But it is not even the biggest star we have found. I love science. And science has just brought us the largest star they found. It's called, are you ready for this, Canis Majoris. Now, I'm no linguist, but that's a cool name for the biggest star we've found so far. I think that means the big dog star, and that's exactly what it is. I bring it to you as a little bitty purple, you know, glow just to the right of center there. But Canis Majoris, oh, wow. If the earth were a golf ball, <laughs> Canis Majoris would be the height of Mount Everest. Thank you. You just saved your family plane fare from California to Kathmandu, Nepal. Almost six miles above sea level, the highest point on the planet, and I just dare you to get up there and unzip the parka and pull out your golf ball. You could fit seven quadrillion Earths inside Canis Majoris. That's enough Earths if the Earth were a golf ball to cover the entire state of Texas in golf balls 22 inches deep. You see the one you're on? Maybe this will help a, a little bit more. This absolutely blew my mind. Just a little journey through our solar system. Everyone knows our planets and sort of how we fit in the story here. You see really quickly that we're not even the biggest deal in our own solar system, but as Earth comes by, you have to know tonight that we are living on a privileged planet. Anyone would tell you we're living at one of the most special places, if not the most special place in all of creation. 
but Neptune comes by and Saturn and then Jupiter and you're like, okay, we're not all that big, even in our own little cul-de-sac. I just noticed the blue dot fading away is not the earth, that's Neptune. The earth has gotten too small to see anymore. Sirius comes by, little plug for satellite radio. Not the biggest star, but the brightest star that we have found so far. Pollux, which we didn't mention, Arcturus. Such a beautifully named one, Regal. But then the one that messed me up. Our third star, Musifi. Musifi's cousin, W. Sifi. And do you know that you couldn't come up here right now with a Sharpie and make a mark on the screen that would approximate the size of our sun? You couldn't even do it. I mean, when you look at these and their relative size, we just have to put a little arrow over there that says, if you could put the sun on here, which you can't, it would go somewhere about here. And um, can you hang on that for me? And when you see this, I don't know what happened. Paints a pretty good picture, doesn't it? In Isaiah 40, 25 and 26, it says, To whom will you compare me, or who is my equal, says the Holy One. Lift up your eyes and look to the heavens. Who created all these? He who brings out the starry hosts one by one and calls each and calls forth each of them by name. Because of his great power and mighty strength, not one of them is missing. You know, my understanding is that science believes that the universe is still growing. And I've got this picture in my mind of Jesus at the beginning speaking out the words and I can still see his voice going, oh gosh, going out through the universe. And creation still coming, still happening as it goes. It's easy to get a picture that Jesus is some sort of superhero. Probably could have fitted straight into an Avengers movie. And the Jews were expecting this. They were expecting a king that would come and deliver them from their enemies, the Messiah. 
Now the second picture, and it's one that we don't look at very often. And from Galatians 4 verse 4, but when the, time, when the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law. If you can, place yourself in the next picture with the disciples as we read Mark 14, 32 to 42. Just think about the words used and what's actually going on here. They went to a place called Gethsemane and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James and John along with him and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the air might pass from me. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them asleep because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. Luke adds to this picture in the garden in chapter 22, verse 44. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the ground. Drops of blood falling to the ground. It's actually a medical condition called hemodehydrosis. It's fairly rare, but it's caused by extreme anguish. Just think of this. The one who breathes stars into existence on his knees, face down, sweating drops of blood in anguish. How did this happen? 
Jesus had been in traumatic situations before. The scriptures tell us that on eight occasions the religious leaders wanted to stone and kill him. On one occasion they had him on the edge of a cliff ready to throw him over and stone him and he just turned and walked through the crowd. He'd been on the Sea of Galilee in a storm with his disciples who were terrified of drowning and he calmly calmed the storm. But this time was different. It's recorded that Jesus used the title Son of Man 80 times in the Bible. Using this term, he was trying to tell us that he was 100% man, just like you and me. In the Hebrew Bible, the term son of Adam or son of man is a term that contrasts human beings from God and the angels. Jesus was highlighting his humanity. It shows he wanted us to know he was just like us, 100% man. He didn't even come as a man. He came as a seed and his mother Mary spent nine months in her womb, was born a baby, grew through childhood into his teens, we know he had brothers, so I'm sure that he lived a rough and tumble life like any child would. Galatians 4 verse 4, he was born of a woman, born under law. When the soldiers came to arrest him on that night in the garden, John drew his sword. He wanted to fight, but Jesus stopped him. Jesus said, I can call down two legions of angels to help if I want, but not this time. This was different. Jesus had to submit. He had to submit for us. So the plan of redemption could be completed. At this point, Jesus had to lay down everything. Philippians 2, 6 to 8 says it all. Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. 
This is love. Jesus gave up everything he was to be able to restore our relationship with the Father. The one that spoke the stars into being humbled himself, gave up his glory, became a servant on his hands and knees in anguish, wetting drops of blood to complete the plan that was put in place back at the beginning of time. If there was another way, he would have taken it. In the garden that night, Jesus was at the point of no return and he felt it. This time he had to submit. He had to give up everything this time. There was no turning back. We're lucky that love is not a feeling or an emotion because I'm sure Jesus wasn't feeling it right there at that time. The disciples couldn't keep awake and pray for him. Judas had just betrayed him and was on his way with the soldiers. Jesus knew what was ahead. Yet, he could say, not my will, but yours to the Father. As we read a while ago, Mark 14, in verses 41 and 42, ended this way. Are you still sleeping? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise. Let's go. Here comes my betrayer. And Philippians 2, 9. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest level gave him the name that is above all names. Jesus made himself nothing, gave up his glory, his authority, became a servant to us. He was abused, misunderstood, threatened, made fun of, cursed, tortured and hung on a cross to die. The one who spoke everything into existence, hanging on a cross. Jesus made a decision to stand and say, not my, my will but yours, a decision of love to complete the plan to restore us to the Father, no matter what it cost. The perfect sacrifice. The one that breathed the stars into existence became a man, 100% man for love, for us. This is love.